On this season, we're not going to be doing long intros anymore. Hopefully at this point you know what this project is about and all of the disclaimers therein. Regardless, you can check out the trailer for Season 3 if you want to hear more rationale for what this season is about. On today's episode, we have Chad Miller joining us. Chad is a mentor of mine, a campus pastor at a Christian university, and a big lover of burritos. I admire and respect him greatly as a man. I'm excited for you guys to hear from him as we talk about masculinity. Let's dive on in. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am sitting here with Chad the Dad, um, also known as Mad Chiller, also known as Chad Miller. Um, and we're going to talk about masculinity, what it means to be a man. Um, <laughs> and it's going to be interesting. Chad is an Enneagram 8, and I'm also an Enneagram 8. So we are the... We're going to... Something's going to erupt in here. We we're are the gonna, most manly of all all types. If, if this goes wrong, I'm going to throw this computer out the window. <laughs> Pure anger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but Chad, before we get into stuff, can you just uh, like introduce yourself, whatever you want to share? Yeah. Uh, like you said, I'm Chad Miller and I work at Biola University, one of the campus pastors. So work with a lot of student groups. Um, and one of the things that we do is, I mean, we're processing like leadership and I think masculinity tends to come into the leadership conversation a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think one of the main constructs or ways that I think students or people grow up hearing about, you know, masculinity is through the filter of but you want to lead something, don't you? And so oftentimes <laughs> yeah. that kind of comes up. But uh, yeah, so I see this a lot in that regard. But I, I've worked at Biola for eight years now. Before that, I was a, a college pastor at a local church for about 12 years. So I've been in the game for about 20 years. And I've mm -hmm. uh, been married to my wife, Beth, for about 18 years. And uh, coming up in a little bit, 18 years. And then uh, I've got three kids. A girl is my firstborn. She's 14, mm -hmm. and uh, my son is 12, and my uh, youngest daughter is nine. And so it's a it's a it's it's a wild ride. And a lot of these discussions, <laughs> yeah. I think, are, are kind of getting hashed out on their own mm -hmm. in some of those settings. So I'm excited to be here. Well, your son's right on the cusp of identity formation, middle yeah. school, high school, which is where your core, I think, masculine experiences yep. probably get formed. So you got you're in a, for a fun treat for these next, <laughs> next few years, and for your your girls dealing with you know what should I be looking for in a masculine yeah. man? Well, it's not just I mean I do dial in to this conversation a lot as I think and strategize about my son, mm -hmm. but man, it's not just him because he's exactly. the male and he's yeah. ma masculine. I, I'm thinking about masculinity, like ontologically, what is it? What what's the nature of it? So that I can, um be aware of it for him, but also because I want, there's components of masculinity that I want my daughters to embody. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that it's necessarily going to just be one or the other. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, before we get into maybe talking specifically conceptually about masculinity, what were you taught about what it means to be a man? Mm. What is masculinity growing up, whether by your parents, by your church, by the culture? Um, what were you taught about what it means to be a man? Yeah. That's, I mean, we're going to go, I'm just going to go primal on some of this stuff. Like, like first things that I remember, there was, uh, I was probably in grade school and I remember there was this kind of hulking guy, this really <laughs> strong dad, <laughs> and he was just kind of messing with another dad. And I was mm -hmm. sitting in the car, I think, waiting for the rest of the carpool to get in my mm -hmm. car in the church parking mm -hmm. lot. Uh, I went to the church slash school. It was all one place. So I was in this one mm -hmm. place six days a week and this dad, as I was sitting alone in the car waiting for the rest of the kids to get in the car with me, this dad saw another person in the car 
and he kind of walked up and put his hands on the bumper and just shoved down eight or nine times. And he basically made this car bounce. And I remember thinking to myself, dude, that is a man right there. He basically made this car. <laughs> Was he like trying to do it like just to give you yeah, just like to a kind of just, just to kind of like, you know, make me a little scared or whatever. But like I couldn't believe the strength that this person had produced. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was a mm-hmm. car and mm-hmm. he made it feel like it was just like a, a Tonka truck or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And I was, so I remember like, that's like a primal memory of like, wow, strength, man, that's, that's something. But beyond that, that's, that was just my own, like putting my, the dots together. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't so, think... so the primal memory for you taught you that maybe that masculinity had something to do with strength. strength. Yeah, it it masked it to yeah. strength, but nobody was there in the car with me to label that. It was just an experience mm-hmm. I had of a, a tremendous amount of strength, and it was from this dad. It was it was my friend Karen's dad, and he <laughs> did this thing, and I just I couldn't believe it. But can uh, I tell a story about one of my problem memories yeah. with the dad? Um, so I was going on this like birthday party boating trip um, at a lake in Arizona, and I've never been to before. You? I was in sixth grade, okay. and I, my friends were in eighth grade, and they had already hit puberty, and I was just about to hit puberty. So they were already like filling out on the football team, and I was like still like skinny and small, kind of watching uh, watching from the sideline. <laughs> I get it. I, my voice was probably yeah. <laughs> I have some YouTube videos that will prove that my voice. It's was all like a cliche. That. Don't worry about it. Um, but anyway, so we go on this thing, and they're like, it was this. Uh, this tube that was where you sit down in. It wasn't like the lay down tubes where you lay on your stomach, but mm-hmm. you sit in it. Um, and so I'm terrified. Of course. Because I've never been tubing, and I'm trying to impress these older friends I have because it's it's kind of – we were growing up friends together. Um, and if you're listening, Zach Heisdu and Jonah Reinholtz, we were all friends growing up together, but they were two years older so that when they hit puberty, the gap was big. Huge, yeah. Um, oh. It wasn't that big earlier on, but now I like had to prove myself as a younger kid. <clears throat> and so – they send me out and them two on the raft first. So there's a big group of us, and I'm sitting in the middle, and my two big friends on either side of me. And I'm going to get to what this taught me about masculinity <laughs> in a second, but it's important to explain the whole story because we have these vivid memories. And uh, my one of my buddy's dad, Zach, his dad uh, was a professional baseball player, pretty, pretty yoked, still a pretty mm. big guy. Um, and he's driving the boat. And so he starts going, and I'm thinking, oh, this isn't that bad because we're kind of just bumping and like, oh, wow, I get why this is fun. And then he like turns and looks at us and just smiles, uh, um, and then he floors it. I recognize that smile. Goes, yeah, it's, it's a smile, it's you know, a something bad. Smile. Something bad is happening. He floors it, and he starts doing donuts. Oh yeah. Uh, which when you do donuts, it's it eating makes, the wave. Exactly. Yeah. So he does donuts, and he does two donuts, and so on the second donut, we come around and we hit the first one, and it was huge. And I'm like, okay, we're good. The second one though was even bigger. Oh, yeah. And so we hit the second wave, and the raft probably got about ten feet of air. And we all like blacked out. Like we got we got whiplash. We blacked out. Uh, we all fell in the water. Like we were in life vests, and we all like came to in the water. Um, and we get back to the boat, and it turns out my buddy Jonah ends up ripping off the handle. This is how big he was as a middle schooler. He ripped off the handle off the tube when we got ripped off. So the tubing was ending for the day. Yeah. But I remember as a kid, that wasn't like a, oh my gosh, we all blacked out. This is the greatest thing ever. I'm like, this is why I didn't want to do this. But I remember they were all laughing and like, wow, it's so fun. It feel like this camaraderie thing. And so what I, that taught me as a kid is that pain is something that men don't feel Uh, like physical pain. It actually, if anything, it's like a fun, it's a fun thing. It's like sting pong where you play ping pong and you try to hit each other with the ping pong ball on your back. Uh, Um, It's different things of pain. So that's kind of airsoft guns, paintballing, these things where it's like, 
no one acknowledges that this hurts and it's more mm-hmm. like, oh, this is so funny. <laughs> like you almost Yeah, died it's almost like too. they don't like part of the message because I've registered similar things. Mm-hmm. It's not it's like part of the message is not that they don't feel pain. For me, I would nuance it as they feel the pain but somehow don't care mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or don't mm-hmm. let it bother them or don't show it. Yeah. And then that's the that's Because you're smart enough. To, I knew on the tube, like, these guys also blacked out. They're probably also terrified inside, but wow. they're not showing it. So right. I'm not going to show it. Right. Yeah. So what what else were you taught um, moving forward from that first experience of strength? Yeah, that, that first, that primal image for me of just a big dude who's strong. Um, mm-hmm. I paid, I was looking up for that. Like, I, I remember there was one time I got stuck in a tree and I called out as my backyard and my dad like I remember, I remember this. It's just, and I mentioned it because it's primal. Like it wrote on my young heart, like on the disc of my heart and it lasted. So it's worth honoring mm-hmm. it by mm-hmm. sharing it. But I remember that the side of my dad sprinting to the tree that I was stuck in and then just handling business and, mm-hmm. and getting me to safety. And, and that's mm-hmm. feeling of like, Oh, I feel, I feel safe now. But mm-hmm. what I think was confusing to me was I got that same feeling at times when my mom would essentially rescue me from mm-hmm. something. And mm-hmm. uh, so I would say I really had no uh, explicit messages about masculinity. Nobody mm-hmm. would even know what to say about masculinity or femininity. I grew up with a brother, an older brother, and my dad. So it was three of us with mm-hmm. my mom. And um, I think the way my mom lived, she was, she is still to this day, I think really resourceful. Um, she's really she's really strong both in character and also in body. Mm-hmm. Um, it, my wife and I laugh when we had little kids. Um, there was like this little plastic house you've probably seen like this plastic mm-hmm. toddler house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had one of those, but it was kind of like handed down and warped, and those things just sit out in the sun all the time. Yep. And so they had warped, and so it was sufficiently like difficult when it came time to throw this thing away to like take the pieces apart and mm-hmm. then put it in the back of a truck and throw it away. And so we, I had been trying to do it. I'm a big guy, like I'm pretty strong and I've been trying to take this house away. And so my mom came out and I'm like, mom, just by the end of the day, can you figure out a way to get that mm-hmm. thing done? And sure mm-hmm. enough, I came home and that house that I physically could not take apart mm-hmm. was just a stack nice and neat on the porch. My yep. mom had taken the whole thing <laughs> apart and should figure out a way. Yeah. And uh, well, it's my like mom... if I can't open a can or something or a bottle sometimes, I'll like, hey, mom, can you do this? <laughs> we blame it on like, oh, you have better fingernails than me or sure, something. Sure, sure, sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then if they do it and we didn't do it, we'd remind them that it was I, we I must have done all it. the pre-work. Yeah. <laughs> I loosened it for you. <laughs> but mom, mom grew up uh, near a beach, near the beach. She grew up in Manhattan Beach in the 50s. And uh, so when it came time, and then my dad grew up in Missouri. Mm-hmm. So my mom actually taught my dad how to swim. Oh, wow. Um, my dad didn't know how to swim. Uh, my mom was a fish, and my dad was less comfortable in the water. Mm-hmm. And so when I would go to my grandma's house, who still lived at the beach, we, that was a beach day. We were going to the beach, and uh, it was my mom who took the initiative to show me how to go under a wave, mm-hmm. how to negotiate. Uh, okay, there's a huge wave coming at you right now, Chad. What are you going to do? Punch it. <laughs> go, go some, but punch it takes you under it, right? And yeah. so let's yeah. let's do and and facing the thing. I mean, you remember being a little kid, the first time you go under a wave, 
And like, I was scared I was going to go right into a shark's mouth. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still scared of this day sometimes that when I go under happen. waves. You should be careful. Yeah. That, that might happen. But no, I remember uh, the first couple, my mom would take me in and she's, okay, hold on. My, hold on. Mm-hmm. And then she would go under the waves with me. And all that water is, you know, cold and it's scary mm-hmm. and it's swirling all around. But I was invited to hold tight to my mom. Mm-hmm. I'm five, six years old and I'm going, man, I hate what I'm feeling around me. But at least I'm safe because of my mom. And I'd be hard pressed not to identify that as something I would call masculinity. I learned mm-hmm. that about it. That's a place for me where my mom was teaching me how to be strong, how to be courageous, how to fight mm-hmm. something. So, um, were yeah. you taught maybe any like negative reinforcement messages? Maybe you weren't taught anything explicitly, hey, Chad, this is what it means to be a man, but more, hey, don't be a little girl or don't be a wuss or toughen up. Or was it more negative messages maybe you received if you didn't get explicit, like, this is how you should be? I think it was my parents were, my parents really didn't want to communicate anything like that. And I mm-hmm. think they probably would protect me. There were some people in our orbit, our family orbit, who probably did have that mm-hmm. message. Mm-hmm. I think my parents probably went out and ran some interference, mm-hmm. didn't let them uh, give us that message. So I'm, I'm, I'm indebted to that. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to see strength in both genders and not have to go, well, that's strength. So that must be a, mm-hmm. must be a, mm-hmm. a man. Mm-hmm. Um, what about maybe in, what was high school? I know mm. I'm moving ahead, but high school and yeah. college, what was that like? Maybe yeah. outside the family, but as you're starting to, differentiate, individualize, Mm -hmm. Um, you're becoming a teenage man, Um, you're at church. Um, Mm -hmm. What what was that like in terms of masculinity? What were you being taught? What were you internalizing? Yeah, that was uh, something you know about too, is high school basketball. That was (laughs) a cadre of coaches who very much had what I would consider a full-blown idea of what masculinity Mm -hmm. was. Mm Mm-hmm. And masculinity was playing through things. Masculinity was described to me as like walk uh, it off, like walking off every yep. injury. Yep, yeah. yep. Get in the game. It's crunch time. You got to want the ball. Mm-hmm. You know. And I didn't know how to like. I mean, honestly, if it was crunch time, I kind of wanted the best player to have the ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And so I was like, but I, but I also then felt shame about that. Mm-hmm. And then I felt like, well, I got to hide that. So mm-hmm. I got to act like I want the ball. So I actually, I actually was pretty adept at pretending you know that I was further along or that I was more developed in that front than I actually mm-hmm. was and so if you would have watched me it would have been oh oh he really wants the ball in crunch time he mm-hmm. wants the ball in his hand internally n- not even close mm-hmm. I, I didn't yeah. I didn't want that I was I was worried I you know so also in high school I had transferred over to kind of Baptist youth group kind of there experiences <laughs> <laughs> and the Baptist, because I, I grew up Lutheran, and that was kind of where the nobody really said anything about one thing or the other. It was nothing was mm-hmm. explicit. Mm-hmm. There's vaguely implied things. There's all maybe a cultural reinforcement, yeah. but nothing explicitly spoken. Right. But then the Baptists, who I've I've, I've loved for the most part, uh, they had a lot more uh, to say about gender, mm-hmm. and this was a guy's kind of thing to do, and. Girls don't like those things, and boys like those mm-hmm. things. And or you have like a guys night where we just eat a bunch of steaks, right. and we like go into the wilderness right. and right. make a fire, right? And 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 there are were women who in in my youth group at the time. I was like, I know you would enjoy this, but mm-hmm. you've got to sort of or like the girls' night where they like watch a movie and eat ice cream or something. Right. You're like that sounds great, right? <laughs> yeah, what's that? Why is that a girl thing? Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. sounds awesome to me. So yeah, yeah, there was a. 
there was a little bit more uh, nuanced of a, of a palette of things that I could be experiencing by the time I got to high school. Mm-hmm. And, um, and none of it I felt super comfortable with at the time, but um, but definitely did kind of go into different phases of maybe that is the path. Maybe I do need to think more about that. Mm-hmm. So, Well, yeah, because you kind of feel the shame like you're talking about with basketball. I mean, we both played, but I was a point guard, so I just naturally had the ball in, in crunch time. Uh. <laughs> so it wasn't like a choice. And my older brother played at the same high school under the same coach at the same position. So I even more had the pressure. You have to be like this guy. You have to surpass uh. this guy. You have to be better than this guy. And it was like some sibling rivalry stuff, but it was also in terms of masculinity. Like, if you want to be a man above all man, man means conquering your opponent. Right. It means conquering the man ahead of you. Yep. It means overcoming all these things. And if you don't do that, um, then you're bad. And there's nothing wrong with conquering and, you know, competition, all these things. But it was almost used as if you fail, then you are not man. Like, you are not that. You're, You're less than that. The ideal man is the one who dominates, conquers, takes charge sees the one ahead of them and does whatever they can mm-hmm. to get it past them. Mm-hmm. And if you don't meet that competitive spirit, then you don't really fit what right. it means to be a man. And that's yeah. kind of how it gets reinforced. They're not telling you you're not a man. They're just praising the yeah. men. Yep. Um, they're not how, just, yeah. But that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. That That's an implied message. I'm never going to sit down and write it out for you. Mm-hmm. This is what a man is. But I am going to reinforce mm-hmm. particular behaviors. So when I see you doing something that to me feels manly – I'm going to reward that. And, uh, and you know, my parents, like I said, were pretty good about not punishing things they thought were more feminine. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I was I was masculine and feminine as a mm-hmm. kid. But I, coaches, I, coaches would be the more oh, yeah. punish the coaches, feminine. They, they, were, they were explicit. And your parents, by endorsing the coach, were kind of uh, probably subtly endorsing. Totally. So for me, like, my parents are very good at not – my dad is not a manly man, although he's very like handy and can do so many mm-hmm. different things. He's not the prototypical, just angry, you know, you know, powerful, dominant uh, dad. My mom, it's not the ideal family. They kind of have a little bit of both. So mm-hmm. it, it was a well balanced approach. But then I get to sports, and they're endorsing these coaches that were basically right. reinforcing the hardcore masculine image. Every time I got benched, I only got benched three times in my whole life, um, from like second grade to senior year. And this mm. is not like a brag. But each time I got benched was because the reason is that we want you to want it more. Mm. We want you to take charge more. We want you Ooh. to be more aggressive. It was never about performance. Right, it wasn't that right. you're not scoring maybe enough. It wasn't that you're not you know making the right plays. We just want you to be more aggressive, uh-huh. more dominant, more powerful, and so we're going to punish you so right. that you want to do that more. Right. Um, yeah. And my parents, I mean, they, would, they wouldn't agree with the coach's benching, obviously, because every parent thinks their kid is a star, and mm-hmm. how dare you bench them. But by like saying, like, we're going to transfer you, they transferred me and my brother to this high school so we could play for this coach. And that's an implicit endorsement as a child Yo, yeah. of that authority is the good kind of authority, mm-hmm. and you want to aspire to get their favor. Yep. Now, looking back, uh, my dad's made this comment. He he's told it me multiple times. He's like, I would have never sent you to that school if mm. I could have like had the hindsight to know this is how the coach is going to treat you guys. Um, but you don't know as a parent. You no. just everyone tells you this is the best coach. Therefore, send your kids to go mm-hmm. play for that one if you want your kids to be the best players. Uh, yeah. But normally, the best coaches in sports, at least back in the day, was always the like behavioral modification, hard on you. Yeah demanded everything demanded the most out of you and so they get good results mm-hmm. but all the kids would hate playing for them right um and so it, it's interesting uh, well, just and, to see in, and in even in that analogy or that example of of 
you learning things about masculinity, mm-hmm. I bet you, hard as that was, and as perhaps immature as your coach was at time, and I mm-hmm. certainly had some immature coaches, in hindsight, like people who I thought were so authoritative, so much mm-hmm. credibility. Mm-hmm. And then looking back, it's like, oh, that coach was 22, and I was 16. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I thought that they were really, really authoritative, but mm-hmm. they were 22 years old. Well, the old. difference is, is that my coach <laughs> at my high school, he's about 75. Oh. And he is the Coach K he of had been Arizona there. basketball. He, he he's that. won like yeah. 15 state championships. Yeah. Is the most winningest coach in all of high school basketball in Arizona. So he's, he's got no time for your emotional life. Uh-uh. Yeah, he's, uh, he's about the... Well, he'd be buddy-buddy in the offseason. And yeah. then as soon as performance and results time mm-hmm. came, it was complete change of behavior. Oh, which is a perfect example of just, hey... We can be buddy buddy. We can be close, but when it comes time, you have to shut everything else off mm-hmm. and be able to operate in this way. And mm-hmm. listen, there's nothing implicitly wrong with Mm-mm. that. Uh, but I, in, in other words, I'm sure that both of us learned. We learned dedication, a lot of really good things for that kind of training. Triumph, yeah. My central question is never not is it okay to teach that brand of being strong mm-hmm. and courageous and brave. Mm-hmm. No, there's nothing wrong that I got taught those things. My question is, why was that limited to merely just something that men should experience? Mm-hmm. I mean, because or I, is that the only thing that you as a man can experience? Absolutely, like, you can only be brave, strong, yep. confident. Yeah, you know. I, seems to me that there's more. Uh, yeah. It seems to me that one of the the great challenges of my life has been <clears throat> understanding my emotional world. Like, that's been a challenge what, yeah. what am i feeling I, at any given moment i don't always know what i'm feeling i wish i was better at that mm-hmm. um I, I have watched my wife be pregnant three times and give uh, birth to three children like why are we the ones men who get <laughs> this strong strength thing attached to our gender when women are the ones that have babies, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I just I, w- the things I have seen yeah. from my wife, not just in bringing forth life, but my wife needs bravery, my wife needs courage, my oh, wife yeah. needs to face things. She need my my daughters need to be able to know how to do hard things. This is not mm-hmm. just something that I reserve. Hey, here's here's a. Uh, stuffed animals and tea parties for my daughters and mm-hmm. then football and wrestling for my son. Like, yeah. No, I, I want all of my people mm-hmm. to, to feel equipped mm-hmm. to look down into their heart and to say, I got what it takes mm-hmm. to face what I need to face. That, yeah. that is not just a dream I have for my son. That's, that's something I want for everybody who I love. Yeah. So to me, it's not one or the other. Yeah, so going off of that a little bit, <clears throat> I know we wanted to talk about uh, toxic masculinity a little bit. And if you if you don't know what that word is, Chad's going to define it for you in just eloquent <laughs> terms. If you are a boomer, I'm just kidding. I don't want to ageist anyone here. But if okay, you boomer. if you don't <laughs> if you don't know what toxic masculinity is, it's from the Gillette commercial. If you remember that, the big outrage yeah. uh, about six plus months ago. I'd probably argue that Trump's locker room talk maybe fits under that umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, just a bunch of it. Toxic masculinity is a popular word all over Twitter. Yeah. It's a word used to shut people down. It's a word used to call people out. Um, and I, I think there's not really a clear definition of it, so that's why I'm not expecting one from mm. you. But maybe, can you maybe describe a little bit more about what is toxic masculinity and is it is it even really truly toxic um, or are people just overreacting? Hmm. No, I don't think people are overreacting. I mean, I th- I think it's probably the people who have called it toxic masculinity have been the people who have uh, experienced the brunt of it. 
Mm-hmm. It's the people who have not had it. Uh, so, and I guess history gets to be written by the people who have the voice, have the power. But I don't, you know, it, to me, it's any time somebody it takes advantage of their power dynamics uh, breaking mm-hmm. in their favor. Hmm. And when somebody's got power over another group or another individual, and they express that power, to me, that's toxic masculinity. And I have seen that from uh, both. Now, I don't know why it gets why masculinity, per se, gets assigned to be the, the powerful one. But I think it has to do with the nature of what bravery and courage and strength are. All, again, all things I want my, my son and my daughters mm-hmm. to have. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why courage and bravery uh, isn't also feminine. But historically, it has been called uh, mm-hmm. a masculine trait mm-hmm. to be in power. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so when that power gets held in a way over others, where it steals voice, uh, you know, it's like when we say to one another, like, "Hey, just because I agree with this, doesn't mean I'm I'm disagreeing with you. Mm-hmm. I just agree with this." And yeah, uh, it's, it doesn't have to be a zero sum game, but it tends to be. And mm-hmm. so whenever my power uh, can be used to take your voice away, mm-hmm. um, that's when I think things start to be become mm-hmm. described as as toxic. It's almost, I think, maybe a helpful one that I think would get both sides on board. It's almost abusive masculinity, mm-hmm. where it's you're taking these culturally conditioned words of bravery, courage, uh, powerful, ability to dominate, and all those those can all be good things. You're using them in a way that is, you know, lording over someone else, is mm-hmm. putting someone else's down, is putting your interests above everyone else's. This is a classic, like... Oh, there's this guy in front of me that, you know, either said something about me, so I'm going to respond by punching them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I'm going to dominate this person to get ahead of them, right, right. even though I'm going to do it in ways that are pretty shady. Yeah. Um, or I'm going to, you know, say these gross sexual things because I have power and authority over them, and they should just get over it. It's not right, that big of a right. deal, even though I know it's disparaging to them deep down. So it's all the, all these ways of instead of finding another way to be brave, another mm-hmm. way to maybe be confident and to really find power, it's using the very external um, kind of bodacious ways of like, I'm showing off my power. I mean, it's a classic, right. what you think of like the the bar fight males um, or the right. locker room males. Um, there's nothing in those men that is inherently like they are bad but we've bought into maybe the system right. of masculinity where it's an excess of the good. Right. Like there is this good thing about, you know, being able to compete and being able to do all these things. But it's when you put that as like, I have to dominate this person. The way to get power over someone is through force. It's right. through violence. It's through physical domination. Um, and we'll get into why we probably don't think that is really part of the way of Jesus. Yeah. Um, but but it's it's the yeah. belief. I think I would just add to that. I think you unpacked it nicely. But I think the it's the belief that in order for me to win, you have to lose. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's when you kind of stop, you stop trying to find mutually beneficial solutions to things because you don't need to because mm-hmm. you're the one who has way more power. Mm-hmm. And instead of laying that power down, uh, as has been um, modeled for us by Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to now try to just go, yeah, I've got the power mm-hmm. and I'm, mm-hmm. I don't need, so I just can, I have the luxury of finding a solution that works for me mm-hmm. and I don't have to, you know, mess with whether or not this works for everyone, you yeah. know, and, and then I'm going to be okay with it. That, mm-hmm. that's a pretty toxic expression of mm-hmm. whatever the, the, the showing up and the, the being brave and the, the having courage is, that's a pretty toxic, um, mm-hmm. 
end game mm-hmm. of, expression of, of it. things. Yeah. yeah, and not to connect everything to purity culture, um, although a lot of this I think can because yeah. it plays out. But I, I think toxic or abusive masculinity, however you want to define it, it, it's like when the kid comes over to date your daughter. And you threaten that you're going to kill him if he right, touches right, her right. in a wrong way. I now, clean my gun. Yeah, good intention, mm-hmm. wanting to protect your daughter, wanting mm-hmm. them to make good choices, wanting you know to look out for the best of them, but doing it in a way that's this overly bravado, overly forceful. Sure. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna punch you in the face mm-hmm. if you don't get her home by twelve. Right. Or I got all, yeah, I'm cleaning my guns. Let me fix all these right. things. It's it's that kind of thing. Or it's the older brother to younger sister where he's threatening all his friends. They make a joke about, right. you know, dating her or something. He says, I'm going to beat the crap out of you mm-hmm. unless you stop. Again, good intention. He doesn't want them to make these gross comments. Mm-hmm. Um, but what if there's a way to be brave, to be masculine, to be confident, to be powerful mm-hmm. that doesn't look like violence mm-hmm. or force uh, or this false bravado right, of right. just physical dominance? Yeah. And so that's, I think we're going to no, get into that a little bit. Um, but moving from that, maybe, um, what, what do you think the Christian way of thinking about masculinity is, um, like how, how should we as Christian men be thinking about it as a concept or as an idea? We'll get into maybe how we can live it out, um, maybe Mm -hmm. more in practice and expression, but how should we even be thinking about what masculinity is? Yeah, there's a couple of different ways I guess I go with that. Um, on one hand, I think that I wonder, I guess, is your question primarily going to be about the actual ideal, what Christ actually wanted Christian way, or what have we seen in Christendom? You know, and there's a couple yeah. of different ways of getting at that. Yeah. Let's let's start with the ideal. Okay. And then we'll work towards realizing that we can't oh. normally reach the ideal and then mm-hmm. how we should still live that totally. out in 21st century America. Amen. Um, let's see. Well, I, I mean, I... I go to Jesus for that, the life. I'm, I'm picturing him walking up to widows and uh, children and uh, uh, women who have lived uh, and had lots of husbands, as it was, you know, outlined at the woman with the woman at the well. Like those are people that, as he's gaining fame, mm-hmm. he has almost every societal right to just kind of keep moving and not notice. He doesn't have to notice the plight of those people as he's walking by. But he saw his role as leader. As he saw his role as somebody who was famous, somebody who was sought after. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he knew everything was a teaching moment. Mm-hmm. And he was he's essentially bleeding his, his philosophy everywhere he went. I think it was worth it to him to mm-hmm. stop and to care and to wonder and to be curious about a woman at the well. Uh, who, you know, his 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 culture said he didn't need to worry about her. Mm-hmm. So he did. And I wonder about that. And so uh, I think even at work, like as I walk around Biola, I want to make sure that, that I don't just sort of dismiss the people that I'm seeing. It's like, yes, these, these people are not me. They have their own experiences. They've got their own day today. But I, I still want to be able to believe that I can climb into that person's mm-hmm. experience and mm-hmm. try to walk a little bit in their shoes, see what it's like to be them, see if I can use my position, my power, uh, the voice that I have. Mm-hmm. Can, I, can I bless them? Can I help them? Can I help them work something out? Do I have words of life for them? Do they have words of life for me? I mean, uh, I want to I wanna give. I want to learn. Um, 
so I want to, the ideal is, is that there's probably that we would walk around and have sort of what I would describe as a integrated masculinity with femininity, that men mm-hmm. would be able to know what they feel and they'd be able to have empathy for what other people are feeling mm-hmm. that maybe let's chalk that up as a little bit more feminine. Mm-hmm. But then on the same side, also be strong and courageous and willing to mm-hmm. pursue hard things and to stick things out and to um, struggle for the good uh, because mm-hmm. the payoff is good in the end and all those things that I think somehow unfairly just kind of get attributed to men. And, and mm-hmm. I just I, I just want more people to see that there's more expressions out there. Yeah. Um, so the ideal is pretty pie in the sky, but it's it's mm-hmm. going to be hybrid of masculinity and femininity together yeah. and, and offsetting each other for the better. Well, and bravery and confidence and leadership and all these things, they don't have to be with just physical dominance. Like you can be brave with your emotions. You can be like uh, powerful by diving yes. into, you know, listening well. You can be an mm-hmm. instrumental leader by being someone who serves, mm-hmm. by someone who listens first and acts second, by someone who actually has access to their emotions, access to their thought life, access to compassion yeah. and empathy. So we often just take, we, I think we have reduced leadership, we have reduced uh, bravery, we have reduced confidence and bravado and all these things to just this like physical show of force. Mm-hmm. Like a leader that we would say is someone who takes charge. Mm-hmm. And when that, that's true. But what if a leader is also someone who listens yeah. um, and someone who shows empathy? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is why MLK, we all love him as a leader. But yet very few of us model after his style of I'm not going to take charge by force. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this by listening. I'm going to do this by taking this on the cheek, even if I've been wronged. And I'm going to slowly make progress. Um, and he does it. He also experiences all like the powerful speaking, leading movements. He has all this stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we often almost we, we reject Malcolm X. But um, that is actually the way that we ascribe leadership and power. We want the pastor who's going to cast vision and take charge and move this church into the next decade and and do all these powerful and mighty things. But we don't want the pastor who's soft-spoken, who will counsel and listen to you, mm. who maybe will tear up talking about something. We only want the person to tear up who's the one who never cries. <laughs> we right. want the rarity. Right. We don't want the one who's actually very attuned to his emotions so he can be moved more. Um, and it's, it's this it's interesting idea of we've reduced these good masculine concepts to just one type of expression um, yep. when it's like what if we had allowed more types of expressions and then it gets into i mean i had dr pierce in the podcast earlier in the season um and he kind of i think this bleeds into it where he's like i don't know if masculinity is necessarily a thing that the bible ascribes but rather the thing the Bible can describe that's a part of culture and then the Bible works in. Hmm. So in a sense, I like that. That's where Jesus is displaying all the good masculine cultural characteristics of the time, but also all the good feminine characteristics mm-hmm. of the time. And he's dismantling Absolutely. the negative masculine characteristics of the time and the feminine masculine mm-hmm. characteristics of the time. And so I wonder how this kind of all connects. Um, if, and we were going to talk about this maybe a little bit, does being a masculine man ultimately just look like being a mature Christian. Mm. <laughs> like, it, is there a difference? Um, obviously, there's a difference between genders. We're going to be different in how we express, different in how we do a lot of things. Um, but is it possible that the way to be masculine is just by looking at Jesus? Mm. Um, and that actually includes also being feminine. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just would say so long as it includes a, a fuller picture yeah. of all those sides. Like, I... It's it's a teleological question on on one hand. If I want to work at getting better, 
and I and I and I first before I start that process stake out where I want to where I want to end up. Mm-hmm. I think for me to be a better person, I want to grow. Yes, in my masculinity, the the, mm-hmm. the classically mm-hmm. masculine traits of of being able to be brave and face my fears and overcome challenges and. Uh, I want to, yeah, that, that's part of what it is. Mm-hmm. Additionally, I want to become, I want to grow along the lines of what I would call emotionally empathetic mm-hmm. with people. I want to know what I feel, you know, as eights, mm-hmm. I, 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 Enneagram eights, I frequently have no idea what I feel. So Other than anger. Uh, no, yeah. Well, that's the point. <laughs> it feels like anger. It's like everything yeah. tastes like chicken. It's like. Yeah. Everything feels like anger, <laughs> and I have to still interrogate myself and yeah. say, no, 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 what is it that you're really feeling? Because mm-hmm. I, I don't always know, and so I have to grow in that, and, and I absolutely am working at growing emotionally. And so mm-hmm. Jesus is a model for the courage it takes to overthrow the tables and to confront with my life mm-hmm. you know, for, for, a, for a higher cause. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, Jesus is my guy for that. Mm-hmm. Additionally, he's also the the person who seemed to have this uncanny capability of knowing what other people were feeling, putting mm-hmm. words to their feelings, mm-hmm. being incredibly emotionally in tune. Even putting feelings to their feelings. Right. Like he felt with them. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think growing up, in, in one sense, part of me wonders if, you know, ma- a podcast, say, on masculinity – here we're talking about masculinity and we're just trying to talk about what guys are like. I, I and I and I think I hear this in you. I, I wanna expand the idea of masculinity out. I want women to feel like they can take up their part in exploring masculinity because I absolutely want to explore what it looks like to be mm-hmm. feminine, mm-hmm. to have what has historically been seen as feminine. Well, and I think people would have pause when they hear this by saying, Why would you want to be feminine when you are a man? And I think that's because we've made masculinity and femininity maybe the goal of Christianity. Mm. Like your your ideal is to be the most masculine man you can be and the most feminine woman you can be. When what if the goal was to just be the most mature human? Mm-hmm. And that might be aspects of masculinity. It might be more aspects of masculinity than man and a little bit of aspects of femininity. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because we've made the goal masculinity. And so therefore, why would you want to add femininity? Because maybe those are opposites or maybe that mm. takes away yeah. from your masculinity. When it really, I think scripture says... Hey, imitate Jesus. And right. that's to women and men. Mm-hmm. So there's something about who Jesus was and his maleness, but also in his humanness that we should want to be like the full human of Jesus, not just the masculine. But I think as men, we often get told like you want to be the most masculine man you can be. Right. We even like in the good sense, like that you're not going to be toxic and bravado and all these things, but just like you're going to be the most masculine. But what if the goal should just be simply the most mature mm-hmm. human? Uh, yeah. And that's going to look different for each person. Mm-hmm. Rather than just like you have to fit this masculine ideal, right. fit the human ideal, um, and you'll be an expression right. of that human ideal. This is why the body of Christ imagery is so beautiful because there's no masculine or feminine parts in the body unless you get into like genitalia or something, yeah, <laughs> something yeah, weird. Yeah. But it's think about it who's the hands, who's the feet, who's the body, who's mm-hmm. you know, all these things. There's no gender yeah. to it. Not that there's not difference. Look, the Bible still is saying there's difference between hands and feet and eyes and nose and ears. So obviously it's saying there are differences. Right. But there's no gender-specific way of you have to be this. If you're a hand, you might lean toward this. So if you're a male, you might lean towards these certain traits. Mm-hmm. And you want to be the best at those traits, just like you were saying. But you can broaden your horizon to actually include femininity and in what it means to be a yeah. full human. 
Yeah, uh, around around Thanksgiving time, my family, uh, my my wife's family is mostly Swedish uh, by heritage, and so and there's a couple of dishes that are like Swedish dishes mm-hmm. and uh, Swedish fish. That's Sweet, the only, yes, the, the gummy gummy fish. That's yeah. it. That's the only thing they eat. <laughs> <Sheep> gummy fish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in particular, it's the, uh, my mother-in-law has this killer uh, tradition of making cardamom rolls. So it uses the cardamom spice, kind of roughly ground. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, honest. it's it's. I didn't know before. What I married is cardamom? This woman what does it taste like? It, it's it's like probably related to cinnamon, but it's it's a. Uh, yeah, it's different. I've never experienced anything like it, but she makes these rolls and it, they're they they're amazing. Mm-hmm. And these rolls, once you get the dough, you got to make it braided into a certain way and then, mm-hmm. you know, put in. And uh it it's been really cool to watch the way systematically my kids have been sort of enfolded into the the league of people who know how to do this. Mm. And uh and I'm super glad that in particular my oldest 14-year-old has been brought in to the league of people who know how to do this recipe. And she's uh, year after year, she's being trained. And I, I love that. Is that mm-hmm. more masculine or feminine? Probably more feminine. I'm mm-hmm. fine with that. But I also wouldn't mind at all if my son was wanting to do that and pursued mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. in the same way I would want my daughter to, you know, go hiking with us. You know, my mm-hmm. son can do that uh, with me, but like, what if, what if my daughters wanted to, and we mm-hmm. have at times and they've, face difficult things and I, I i just think it's interesting the way that we have assigned meaning on some of these things i just want to be more careful mm-hmm. moving through some of those things because yeah. i think we end up i talk to a lot of them you talked to a lot of them here at biola like the it, it's these roles when they're assigned but people aren't brought into some of these mm-hmm. these roles like how to be more empathetic uh, mm-hmm. how to be more courageous when we don't actually show people how to do those things, but just expect them to know how to do it by virtue of something as ridiculous as their gender, mm-hmm. uh, well, nobody's learning those very, very, very important societal uh, mm-hmm. values mm-hmm. well. And I'd rather mm-hmm. they know them well. And uh, yeah, well, there's nothing in Scripture that says necessarily. And Dr. Pierce talked about this, like, hey, be more manly. Or be mm. more womanly. It's hey, have the fruits of the spirit. Right. Hey, be compassionate, right. be considerate, be empathetic, be loving, be kind, be mm. gracious, be patient. There's nothing that we would try to build into someone in a counseling situation or in like a character development that is inherently right. one of these two things. It can be displayed maybe a little differently, um, but it's interesting right. that we experience so much shame in our maleness or our femaleness. Or I'm not. I don't really fit the female, you know, kind of way. Or I don't really fit the male mm. bravado. When it's like scripture doesn't give those requirements. Um, it's always about these characteristics. So I, I guess taking that all into consideration, say we, we're not really sure if masculinity has been defined well or if it's even a great category, but rather these characteristics, regardless of all of that, there is masculinity and femininity in mm-hmm. the culture in America today. So how can men live as good Christian men um, within the framework that we have today with mm-hmm. all of the power that men are given in American culture, um, with maybe some of the privileges, I'm not going to get into male privilege, <laughs> uh, but just with, with the status that men have, the perception that men have in America, how can Christians maybe be countercultural and how can they reinforce the good um, narratives that we have? That's a good question. It is hard to steer away from some of that privilege that you mentioned, but I would simply say that it's just having a posture that is willing to, willing to, 
concede that if if I am just defined by a vision of masculinity, then the people around me are probably thirsty for for me to develop other capacities mm-hmm. uh, as well. Mm-hmm. And I want to know to do that, that every situation I'm in probably requires a good bit of my masculinity, but probably also requires a good bit of my femininity as well. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I would say precisely because society, because American culture tends, and, and other cultures as well, but, but particularly to this culture, um, is ready to attribute so much uh, authority and power mm-hmm. to men mm-hmm. who embody in a primary way what feels like the standard vision of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just say look, looking for ways to lay some of that down or to mm-hmm. donate that to someone else or to say, yeah, I, I'm going to take this opportunity where you would probably reward me for just calling upon some vision of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to defer to somebody else or I'm going to use my strength to lift up a voice that is often subdued or quiet, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm going to search that, that one out. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I have been given a lot of authority. I've been given a lot of voice. Mm-hmm. I didn't earn it. It's just what my society was wanting to do. And mm-hmm. so I think in turn, I want to uh, accept some of that. But as long as I use it to to do the best I can to make sure that others who have not had voice mm-hmm. can find a voice, others who have not had power can have power, others who have not been able to, uh, have not been given the blessing to sway their environment this way or that, mm-hmm. uh, to give whatever authority I can to people who will hold it wisely and mm-hmm. just, just in a, but in a different way, I want to be mm-hmm. open to a different way of, of having authority. And, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't, doesn't always have to look like courage. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always have to look like physical strength. It doesn't mm-hmm. always have to, there's a, again, I've seen both physical strength and character strength out of my wife and my daughters. Mm-hmm. I've also seen that in my son. So I just, in practice, I, I'm just somebody who has not has not particularly assigned those traits mm-hmm. to the genders, and 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 I personally want to be willing to just kind of lay some of that down. Yeah, and we've talked about this before, Chad. But being Enneagram Eight, um, mm-hmm. and for those of you who aren't aware, the Enneagram Eight it's the called the Maverick or the Bravado or the Confident. It's your the challenger. Your, your challenger. There's so many different names, the the eight hole, because um, <laughs> they're uh, jerks. Um, may or may not be called that by my wife sometimes. <laughs> but that's, may, that's may fair. or not it's be fair. called that by all my friends. <laughs> um, but regardless, we've talked about how there's sometimes when we know we can walk into a room and just by our personality type, we can demand attention, mm-hmm. we can demand influence, we can demand things. I could walk into a job interview, and this is what I feel like sometimes, where I can just talk myself into a job because of my personality type, because mm-hmm. we we possess the culturally favorable ideas of what it means to be a masculine right. leader. And so, for those of you who are listening and and maybe don't agree that you know America has given more leadership to men, or maybe you don't agree that it's happened in unhealthy ways, or it's happened in bad ways, but it's just a natural result, or it's a God-given thing, whatever you think it is of how we have more male leaders in American culture, regardless of what that is, and it's a social justice issue or not. The way of Jesus, if you are a Christian, is to if you're in a position of power, is to lay it down. Mm-hmm. Like so, even if you got it by good, holy, healthy, natural reasons, there's no you know 
pay gap. There's no wage gap. There's none of this unhealthy, unjust, unjust things. Even if it's this natural process where males are just in leadership more than women, you are still called as a Christ follower to do what he did, mm-hmm. which is washing the feet of the people you're, un- or you're over. Right. Like you are called to, to carry your cross. You're called to, if you are the head, you're called to act like you are the least of these. Right. You're supposed to be the servant in the kingdom because the least of these are going to be the greatest. So even if being a man means leadership and means mm-hmm. power and means prestige, and that's a God-given healthy thing, God has ordained for you to take that and lift up others, mm-hmm. empower others, give a voice to others, um, do everything that Jesus did. In your setting. Yeah, in whatever your context is. Even if this is if you're in a matriarchal culture, the women are called to do the same thing. Right. If you are in Absolutely. power, you are called to lay it down and lift up those who don't have a voice. This is why the widows, the orphans, and the poor are talked about in Scripture. It's not just because he picked three random needy people. Those are the three most voiceless, powerless people. Absolutely. Because the poor, no one wants to talk to. They're viewed as, um, it was their choices, they're bad. The widows have no standing in that culture because they need a male to have standing. And orphans have no inheritance. Mm. So these are the people who are the most destitute and then most powerless. And so those are the three that Jesus went after um, with his power, the power of God, to raise up. So that's kind of where I really think in American culture, even if... This is why people who want to just take charge of America, we need a Christian president or we need a Christian candidate. That might be a great idea. But I, if I want a Christian president, I'm fine with him taking power as long as he then uses that power to then lay it down um, for right. others. Yep. Um, I, don't, I don't mind us trying to elect Christian candidates or put Christians in CEO positions or whatever. But let's actually have them act like Christ right. then. Um, and not just take power, use power like the rest of the world does, but it's okay because we're Christian. Yeah, yeah. It's this yeah. different. It's this Absolutely. different way of handling power. I think you got to be creative with that in the way that you conceive of giving that power away in strategic ways to the right people who maybe don't have power. Like for instance, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be earth shattering or revolutionary. So literally last night uh, in in my home, you could think of my home, which is the five of us. Mm-hmm. That's a little culture. Mm-hmm. Um, the big people, the adults, the 40-somethings, mm-hmm. were the ones with the power. Mm-hmm. Uh, kids have their own kind of power, but it's definitely going to be a secondary power. Mm-hmm. Or the, the, mm-hmm. the mom and the dad are in charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you're going to kind of go through, the, if big is if big person is the, the powerful, then the least powerful is the youngest person. And so mm-hmm. let's go to the nine-year-old and, and think, well, Noel, what... What power does Noel have? And uh, mm-hmm. Beth has always challenged me, um, and I've needed this critique in my life. I'm a very verbal, very expressive, hot-tempered eight who just wants to get things done and, and have things happen mm-hmm. and feels really frustrated when I'm not understood and mm-hmm. just believes that I can explain everything away. And one time Beth just looked at me, and I was just very passionately explaining something to the kids mm-hmm. in my view. And from Beth's view and from the kids' view, I was just straight up yelling at the kids, you know? <laughs> and But for me, I was like, no, you no, there was, a, yeah. there was a righteous. And, and I, <laughs> if you would have asked me on the anger scale, was I at like, a, what are you at? Like a, at a 10? Are you at like a... Probably a three. I would have said I was at three. And yeah. Beth would have said I was at like an 11 or 12, right? <laughs> And then she went on to explain, and if I was going to hold on to my power in that moment, I wouldn't have even heard her explanation. Mm-hmm. But I would have. But so she goes on to explain. She's like, "Chad, you're six feet tall. You're two hundred pounds plus. Like, mm-hmm. you are standing. We don't, get any, we don't need to get in your weight, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> was, I'm going to go down BMI here in a minute. Um, but the but the point is, like, I'm standing over a nine year old mm-hmm. with my big voice and my big body, and I'm 
very passionately explaining some things. You better believe I'm expressing my voice. And mm-hmm. when she asked, she said, what voice does Noel have right there in that moment? What, what voice does she have? And immediately I felt convicted and I felt mm-hmm. like, yeah, probably doesn't have very much voice. But then a secondary thing washed over me of, well, shoot, it's too late. That moment has already passed. There's nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. And, and she challenged me on that, that there's nothing I can do. She said, if you're convicted about that, then, then, then Noel deserves an apology from you. Mm-hmm. And so for me, an apology is anathema. Like, I don't ever want to apologize. No. That's part of my personality. Yeah. But also, that's not in alignment with my vision for what masculinity looks like. Masculinity mm-hmm. is self-confident, moves forward, doesn't mm-hmm. second guess. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to an apology, wow, an apology kind of feels like a second guess. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and I don't know if I can afford to give up that much power, but you know what? Giving up power and lifting up somebody else's voice in that moment was was me doubling back with Noel and just saying, hey, I'm really sorry. Did you feel kind of afraid when I was mm-hmm. yelling and standing over you? Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah. I said, did you feel like I was understanding you? And she said, no. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, okay, I'm going to sit quietly. Could you help me understand what you were wanting to say? And you know what? I got to hand it to her. She stepped up in that moment, explained what she wanted to explain to me. And it was not anywhere near what I was (laughs) expecting that she was saying. Yeah. And I had to admit, I didn't listen to you. Mm -hmm. I am so sorry. Thank you for still showing up Mm -hmm. and, and bringing your voice to the forefront because you know, at the end of the day, your dad loves you. Mm-hmm. Um, how many how many of us dads say we love our kids? Mm-hmm. Pretty much, but all then of them. Yeah. we don't we don't give them room to 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 be who they are to express themselves, mm-hmm. and so it's like I love you, and you're not even you weren't even doing that intentionally. You're not saying, "Hey, Noel, you have to be a certain way or do a certain thing." No, you're doing it unintentionally by just trying to explain something that right. you're passionate about. That's most fathers. In fact, I was trying yeah. to uh, at the moment what I was passionate about was trying to bestow virtue to my offspring. Exactly. And so I felt if what what higher cause is there? But yeah. it, it was the way it was coming across that I was I felt entitled to because I'm the big one, I'm the man, mm-hmm. I'm in charge, you I have power. More, yep, yeah. I'm wiser than she is, and so I I deserve to do this. And and so I took my voice, and in taking my voice, I took hers away. Yeah, and I needed to go back and give it back to her, mm-hmm. and then sit there and shut up, and then mm-hmm. really listen and hear. Oh, see, I get better when I hear other people's voices. Mm-hmm. I get better when the people around me who historically have not had voice all of a sudden get their voice. Mm-hmm. And if I can humble myself enough, I get better mm-hmm. by that. And so to me, Noel offset me. She grew me. Uh, I know that I, it's my job to grow her, but man, she yeah. she grew me. And I would say that historically the visions of masculinity that I have maybe even tried to be understanding whether they were there or not or explicit or implicit whatever they are i don't know that the my vision of masculinity has Mm -hmm. always held out held room for me to Mm -hmm. go back and and double back with my daughter and say hey tell me what you're really thinking and oh by the way i'm sorry yeah well and this isn't just for dads to their nine-year-olds you can take this situation and project it to ceos with their like lower level management with lead pastors with a lay member giving perspective It's the same kind of power dynamic where the person that's that low on the totem pole, this is with a rich person and a poor person. Yeah. Um, we treat people like you treated maybe Noel in that situation where you were trying to lecture the homeless person on why they need hard work and determination right, to right. get out of this thing. And you're not actually listening right. to what they what they have to say or why they're there. 
Um, you are the lead pastor of a church, and you refuse to listen to either the youth pastor, who's not even that far below you, mm-hmm. but let alone to a director, a Bible study leader, because what could they have to offer you? But again, that just because you are the leader, or you right. are the visionary, or you are the one who's in charge, the way of Jesus is to do it as he did it, which is he listens, he affirms, mm-hmm. he puts words to feelings, he changes course sometimes, mm-hmm. not in the grand yeah. scheme of things, but would adjust to different people and what their needs were. Um, there's nothing in how we have built this Christian masculine leadership vision, mm-hmm. in my opinion, um, this is an overgeneralization, that matches the way of Jesus um, and how he led um, and how we have our pastors lead and how we have our Christian CEOs lead. Some are really great and some are really awesome, but a lot of times it's the American business CEO model that we have just attached church language to and said, this is the way to lead people. This is the way you do it. You need to have someone who's in charge, who's pushing, who's moving forward, who's visionary, all these things. And I'm like, okay, that that seems to be working well in Mm -hmm. some churches. I mean, Saddleback's huge. (laughs) All these places are huge. But does it matter if it's effective? Does it matter if it works in American culture if it's contrary to the Mm -hmm. way of laying it down by Jesus? Um, And so masculinity, I think, bleeds into leadership, which we could talk probably for an hour on leadership. But um, I think this is good. So what? maybe we'll end with two questions. Um, If someone's listening to this right now and they're either they fit the masculine build (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, or they don't fit it and they're struggling with it, what would be kind of your advice or counsel um, Mm. you would give to them on both ends of the spectrum? A guy who maybe is more like us, um, who is dominant, loud, angry, Mm -hmm. is just a loud personality, is the classic masculine build, and then someone who's maybe more soft, um, a little bit more feminine, a little bit more gentle, empathetic, um, they feel more, they Mm -hmm. have more compassion. What would be your advice to both of those poles? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, my first thing, one of the things I would try to make sure that the the maybe the more driven masculine leadership type person would just be challenged on. Uh, I don't think that the fact that somebody has those traits means that that person doesn't also have a soft heart mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and perhaps moments of things that kind of kind of get under that rough facade mm-hmm. well and, and we know that their, we know heart. that deep from going through counseling yes <laughs> that underneath yeah. this rough bravado is yeah. a is a deep heart a yeah. caring heart a sensitive heart and maybe not everybody would describe themselves that way but mm-hmm. I, I would say that those parts have been given to you for a reason as well mm-hmm. and so as much as we we try to listen to those parts of us that want to lead out and and be brave and, and mm-hmm. encourage and lead other people and challenge other people it would also, I'd say, fine, do do that. Listen to those mm-hmm. parts and, and pursue those parts, but also um, let those things be offset by those uh, more emotionally connected parts as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I have even on a side just started meeting to talk about what it looks like to be healthy in our eight, you mm-hmm. know, and that has been so good for me to help me understand what, what if I think I'm a healthy eight, and I, I think I'm a healthy eight. <laughs> at times depending on the day of the week i suppose but uh the only measure that makes me feel like i'm a healthy eight is that by by knowing or working hard to know what i feel Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that doesn't seem super masculine to me but it's Mm. but it's very worth it and and it's not efficient it's not productive no because you have to slow down and yeah. you, if you feel certain things, you might not be as productive at work. Right. You might be a little bit more distraught. You might right. be more of a mess. Yeah. So I don't know if the the vision for you is to tone it for for somebody with us who's a strong leader. 
I don't know that you need to make those things about you disappear mm-hmm. or, or, or tone those things down so that you can do this other vision. I would simply just say, just allow both parts to come mm-hmm. out. Just get more access to and, the other and, side. And I think that they would probably, the one side, if it emerged and grew uh, and was, was able to match, say, the more masculine traits, uh, they would probably offset those masculine traits in a good way. Mm-hmm. And so don't be afraid to explore those things. This is not a scorched earth, shut those parts of you down. This is just let the other parts come out mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. If you probably feel less what what we've described as masculine here and wondering and more timid and how to how to break in, I would I would say those parts are huge strength uh attributes for you. Your mm-hmm. your your sensitivity, the world needs that. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there should be a place for that. You continue to push the world to hear the voices of people who don't often have voice. Number mm-hmm. one, I, I think that would be the first thing I'd say. Like you, you should feel blessed in that, not subdued in that, mm-hmm. and that the world needs that as well. And that perhaps for you, the most masculine thing you can do is bring those things forth mm-hmm. in a world that is kind of inhospitable to them, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and being okay. So. Um, again, this isn't a call for one person to stop being one way and to start being another way. This is just, let's allow all the sides to Mm -hmm. be on display Mm because I think the world needs it. The world needs all of them. Yeah. It's be your unique self and how you've been gifted and how you've been providentially guided in your life, but also access more full humanity within Mm. you. Be everything you've been crafted to be but just add the other aspects of what it means to be human. Totally. Um, and I think that kind of completes, it doesn't have to be less of anything, um, just be more yeah. of something else. And so moving from that, what would be maybe your hope for the church and maybe mm. talking about masculinity, walking with young men, walking with older men, how would you want the church to address matters of masculinity um, moving forward, yeah. whether functionally, uh, like practically or an idea? Whatever it is, what would be your vision yeah. um, for the church and a healthy masculinity? Yeah, and that's a fraught question, but it's also an important one. Um, Beth and I feel really fortunate to worship at a church that gives pastoral leadership expression to men and women, gives uh, church board leadership uh, to both men and women. Mm-hmm. Uh, as such, I've I worked at the church as a pastor, after I stopped being a pastor there and have been working here at Biola, I went back and was on the the, the elder board at the church. Uh, as soon as I came off, my my wife had been nominated and is now currently on the elder board. I'm not. We're not on together. Mm-hmm. Um, for our three year, she's a three year term, and I had had mine, and now she's in the middle of hers. Um, you know, and she's the vice chair of the board and is considering whether or not she's going to become the chair for her final year. And that's that's a leadership position uh, in a spiritual setting, and um, that has been an amazing thing. But I mm-hmm. want to say this: depending on what kind of church culture you're in, I'm not suggesting that every church would. Be, if I could wave a wand and and turn every church into what my church is, I don't think I'd do it because mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I acknowledge the setting that each church is in. I acknowledge the journey. And that this is a important issue for lots of different churches and lots of different cultures. And I don't understand all these cultures. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that I can, from the outside of your, you know, the, the, all the unique church cultures here to be able to prescribe that they be open to, to, mm-hmm. to officially and the bylaws and the constitutions of these churches to become more egalitarian. Um, but I think 
what I would hope was that because I because I think those discussions un, unfortunately are so gendered. Mm-hmm. They assign masculinity to men and femininity to women. Mm-hmm. And I think what I would rather see, and maybe perhaps it's a way for both masculinity and femininity to show up in, in church leadership, is uh, then it's on the men. If this if you're going to be at a church who uh, is male leadership primarily, then it's on the the males who are in leadership to become more feminine in their expression. In other words, do the things that have historically been mm-hmm. assigned to women to do. Yeah. Uh, you men, and it may be extra hard for you because you may not be gifted in this, which I would hope would become a clue to you that maybe you need women to be involved in the conversation as well. But if your culture just is so resistant to that, then men, y- you need to figure out ways to express femininity mm-hmm. even if it's difficult for you mm-hmm. because your church community is men and women mm-hmm. and you're just expressing one lopsided part mm-hmm. is is excluding is taking the voice away from uh, all of them but that's but that's one, I mean not all yeah. of them but just the the, the women on, on in the church and I feel like partially why I love so much being in a church where women have leadership is because that assures that the women who worship at that church are going to be, their perspective is going to be considered. Their Mm -hmm, voice mm -hmm. is going to be more easily heard. If it doesn't come super easy for me as a male leader to hear a woman's voice, having female leaders virtually ensures that the voices of women in that church will be heard and honored. Yeah. And, um, really celebrated. So, yeah. Uh I su- I, I would suggest that m- men are going to have to pick up some of those things and take those on too. And yes, yeah. I would admit that maybe it's not going to be as easy, but that's part of the problem too. Mm-hmm. But it's still going to we're going to still gonna have to do that. Yeah. And I would say it's in, in another note, it's even possible like it's possible for you to call out abusive masculinity without you know sending masculinity straight to hell. Like you can say mm-hmm. You know, that thing that that leader said about women or that thing that leader said that just was not in line with Jesus, although it was in the bravado of masculinity, you can denounce that while still, you know, honoring and cherishing masculinity. And I think we're so scared to like say to denounce someone, a leader or someone who's done something that's a little too over the top Mm -hmm. because we're afraid of like losing the good values of Mm -hmm. what masculinity is. And I'm like, for me, it's kind of like gluttony. Like you can denounce an over excess of food, an over excess of idol, uh, idolizing it, but you can still then say food is good. Just by denouncing one doesn't mean you have to like say that masculinity is now a bad thing. I think that's why so many people are mm-hmm. allowing it to run rampant because we're scared of calling it out because we're afraid we might lose the good part of it. And it's like it's possible to do both. Right. Um, right. And I think often men sit by. And allow leaders to make comments that are offhand, whether about women, just whether about mm-hmm. whatever, that just don't seem to match the way of Jesus. Because we're afraid that our masculinity will also be taken away if we denounce right. that aspect of it. It's not, and it's not all oppression either. No, it's not. When you take the voice away from somebody, it's not oppressive every single time. Mm-hmm. But you still do want to make sure that you have heard both voices. Like mm-hmm. I, I see the same issue when I go to the Christian bookstore and go through the. Uh, women's devotionals mm-hmm. and I pick up and I like what are the topics in this women's devotional and it's you know got a picture of coffee on the front of it and <laughs> you know and I, I go I like yeah. coffee what's what's feminine mm-hmm. about that and mm-hmm. and then the topics are faith and uh, surrender and 
uh, I mean, all things I need to to mm-hmm. to do as a mm-hmm. as a man. Faith and surrender are not relegated to women only, you know. And mm-hmm. so I'm holding a, a a devotional that has been marketed specifically to women, full of topics that I need to understand mm-hmm. with more depth. And so. Uh, I, my wife was reading an Ann Voskamp book a couple of years ago, and I picked it up and read about half of it in one sitting and thought, this is an amazing book. Mm-hmm. Why is this marketed to women? Like, what what is so specifically feminine about this? Like, mm-hmm. I need this. So yeah. it's not just men shutting down women and shutting their voices down. It's just we just want both expressions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think there's something about the image of God that emerges uh, among us when that happens and mm-hmm. I, so I think it's something worth bringing all of us to bear to try to figure yeah. it out well sweet that's probably the end of our time chat yeah. so thank you I'm um, sure a lot of people are going to benefit um, who are on both sides of this men and women um, just really having a more biblical <laughs> I would say perspective you mentioned the, real quick that I looked yeah. it up you mentioned MLK you know yeah. what his Enneagram was he was an 8 he yeah. was an 8 oh, wing yeah. 9 yeah. heck yeah baby oh yeah baby <laughs> <laughs> anyway Malcolm X was not an Enneagram mate, although he looked like one. Felt like uh, it. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so thank you so much, Chad. We hope that Chad's words today encouraged you in your masculinity, reframed how you view manhood, and ultimately made you feel hope for your masculinity. Also, if you ever have any questions or feedback or topics that you want us to discuss and you want to get a hold of us, we have an email listed in the podcast notes that you can email Um, and send us your thoughts. So please go on and do that, um, and we'll hopefully incorporate that into some of the podcasts in the future. And as always, if you've enjoyed what you have heard today or enjoyed what this podcast is doing and what it's about, it would help us out greatly if you could leave us a review and if you could subscribe to the podcast. This helps us reach other people, and this helps us fulfill what this podcast is ultimately trying to do which is bring hope to those who are trapped, those who are struggling, and those who are wondering what to do with sexuality. And as always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing, so by the power of the Holy Spirit, may abound in hope.